0: Three and a half. So you've covered part of Philemon, right? Not the whole thing. That's too long. <laughs> Philemon, the book of Philemon. Here we are. And it is a small book. We're going to start there first this morning, class, in this great study that we have. And, uh, you know, it's an obscure book. I've, I've not preached through it before either. It's just going to be one class this morning. So we want to pay close attention to what God has for us this morning. But it is an exciting book, uh, even though it's just just 25 verses. It doesn't have more than one chapter in it. And so this morning's lesson is on transformation and restoration. And I'll give you the, the background here to it in just a minute, but I'm sort of dating myself here. How many of you have ever watched This Old House? Raise your hand. This Old House. Good. I'm not the only one then. You guys are all in my, uh, in my wheelhouse here. Bob Vila, remember him? Bob Vila was the guy who did the Yankee Workshop and all of that and did This Old House. Do You remember what that, that whole program was about on PBS? It was about taking a house and, and all these tradesmen coming in and doing their magic, working their magic, and transforming this old dilapidated place into a beautiful, beautiful work of art, a beautiful home. Today, more modernly, we have, you guys all know, right, this fixer-upper. Who's that? Chip and Joanna. Gaines. Thank you. Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yes. Maybe it's just big in our house. My wife loves them. You got Anybody else like, love the Gaines? Yes, a number of you, and they do the same thing. It's a fixer upper. It's taking something that's old and broken down or just uh, dated, and transforming it into something that is new and updated and 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 pleasant to the eye. Sort of in the same way, that's what we're talking about here. What happens in the book of Philemon? In the book of Philemon, um, it's a man who has been broken. He's a runaway slave. And he runs away from his master. And now he's going to come under the sound doctrine. He's going to be saved. And he's going to be completely transformed. And this, we enter the story where Paul is making an appeal to help this man come back and do what is right before God. And so it's, it's an exciting story about the transformation that takes place in life. So let me just give you the, the background here. You see it there in your notes. Um. Philemon is a, is a prison epistle, along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, so you get an idea of where he's at. Paul is writing from house arrest in his first imprisonment in Rome. That's where this comes from. It's, again, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are all written during this time period. And so he's way over in Rome. And, uh, and Onesimus would have been under Philemon, his master, and they're out of the church of Colossae, which would be in Asia Minor. And so they're a long way away from one another. Second there in your notes, Paul Paul had apparently led a runaway slave, again, named Onesimus, to Christ. He, he led him to Christ and was writing to the slave owner, Philemon, saying, look, this man got saved. He's a good guy. Take him back. And, and welcome him, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And so third there, Paul makes an impassioned appeal for Onesimus because of this radical transformation that took place. And Paul is saying, look, this young man is worthy of forgiveness. He's worthy of grace, Philemon. Would you please have him back? And so the whole story revolves around this this, uh, rebellion going on and what happens when this rebellious person comes to Christ. And it changes him completely. And the perspective about this man is completely different. Now, notice, if you will now, in verse 1. Let's just look, first of all, verse 1. Paul calls himself a prisoner. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. He's calling himself a prisoner in Christ. And you know, class, that's the only time in all of Paul's writings, the 13 books that he's written in the New Testament, it's the only time he says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What was Paul saying when he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ? It doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the the state, of the government. I'm a prisoner of Christ. What do you think he means? He's saying, in essence, you know, Philemon, who he's writing to, Jesus put me here. The Lord put me here as a prisoner for a purpose. So when you're ever having a bad day, when there's stuff rough going on in your life, maybe try to think, Lord, why'd why'd you allow that in my life? Our typical response, like me, probably like you as well, is saying, now wait, Lord, that's not fair. What's going on? Why is this person mistreating me so much? Why are my children having, giving me such a hard time? Why is work and my boss, they're just it's so stressful? What's going on? The Lord allows things in our life, sometimes from our own doing, the mistakes, the decisions that we make, but sometimes it's just life. That God says, I want you to grow and be strengthened by some of the circumstances that happen in your life that I have ordained for my glory and your good. And so Paul, he always had that mentality. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And so he's writing letters and we have that recorded. Why in the world would God allow A one book, a one page little book, 25 verses to be put into his eternal word class. There had to be a bigger picture, right? There had to be something worthwhile that it seems like such an obscure book and we don't study it much. But God had ordained that this book, this epistle, this short letter be put in his eternal word for us to glean something from it. And one of those things is Paul is writing as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. There's a bigger picture here that we can't see from the book. But as you study the New Testament, you begin to see what may have happened. Let me, let me share that with you. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, um, in verse 22, I'll just read that for you. Philippians 4.22, it says this. All the saints salute you chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. Now remember, Philippians is also a prison epistle. And so he's writing Philippians from jail as well. And so while he's writing that, he's saying the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. God put Paul in prison in Rome to lead the emperor's staff to the Lord. He says, those in Caesar's household, they greet you. The saints there. Hey, I want you to know while I'm in prison, God's working. People in in Rome, people in in the cabinet, in the staff, in the administration of the emperor, they're getting saved. And Philemon, they greet you. So I'm sending greetings from the Christians over here in Rome to you. And I want to let you know that. That's amazing. And unless we look at the whole of Scripture, we might miss that. But it's an awesome thought that God is supernaturally working behind the scenes, even in Paul's imprisonment, to do a greater work, to do a bigger thing. And so we can't miss that here. All the saints salute you, even those in Caesar's household. And so it's a, it's a huge thing to think about that God would supernaturally and sovereignly allow Paul in prison because he wanted and had souls that would be saved in that place. And so class, might I just say to you as we open here, let's all keep our eyes open. Sometimes, and I am guilty of this as well, I can walk through life with my blinders on, serving in the ministry, doing this and that, and, and get so narrow focused on what I've got to accomplish, what's going on, what, what thing I'm, is important in my life that I can sometimes miss some of the other circumstantial situations that are occurring in my life and not see clearly how God might be using that, especially some of those nagging, frustrating things that we don't want We didn't ask for, and sometimes we think, well, Lord, I didn't deserve this. I I don't think there's any known sin in my life. Why, Why does that come in to my life? And sometimes we just have to realize, well, maybe God has a bigger purpose, a bigger picture, a bigger plan that He wants to accomplish in us using that person at work, using that rebellious thing that our child did, that frustrating thing using that health issue or whatever it might be, the financial challenge, maybe to say, okay, Lamar, are you going to trust me? Can you depend upon me in this as you can when things are going just straight as an hour and smooth? I want you to trust me even then. Paul's in prison. He's writing and people are getting saved while Paul's in prison. He's writing books of the Bible in prison for I think for us to be able to say right now, 2,000 years later, oh, that's why God put Paul in prison. He's writing books of the Bible that we can draw encouragement from today. So his plan is sovereign. It's bigger than sometimes what we can see just narrowly. And again, in your life, sometimes God might bring those circumstances, those people, those situations, those challenges into your life and says, don't miss it. I want to grow you. I want to strengthen you. I want to help you because I love you. And I have a plan for your life. And try not, class, to just sort of, you know, Lord, it just, it's just too much. It just doesn't seem fair. This again? And not that we do that, but if our tendency is to do that, just sort of like he preached if you were here on Wednesday or if you caught it, be still and know that I am God, from Psalm forty-six, ten. Right? Beautiful, beautiful message that uh, Tim Thompson just preached to us. And so these are the bigger purposes. Yes, ma'am. On demand. We didn't put it down at Comcast yet, but no, it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> it should be on the archive soon if it's not already. Did anybody try to find any of those yet? So, yes, it's, uh, we, it is on our website. We usually put them on. It usually takes about two days. That was oh. Wednesday, so it should be up by now. Okay. Yep, yeah, look at the archives for that. Yeah, <laughs> on demand. Good. Okay, so, so from the very first phrase class of this tiny little book, Paul tries to get Philemon to Philemon's heart. I'm a prisoner, Philemon. And I'm coming at this from a prisoner's perspective He's a prisoner for Christ who risked his life to share the gospel. And since he led Philemon to Christ, he kind of alludes to that, by the way. Look over in verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repent, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self beside. Most, most believe who study this that Paul was saying... Look, I, I, you're sort of indebted to me, Philemon, because I was your spiritual father. So as I'm writing to you, please take what I'm saying to heart. And so while he's writing from prison, he in essence is sort of, sort of um, leading Philemon to the place where he could say, Look, if I can be a prisoner for Christ, can you be a forgiver of someone who wronged you? In essence, Paul could say, I I think I have the bigger challenge because I'm writing from prison. You're the one that needs to forgive. And so he's sort of coming at it from that direction. So God's purpose for including this is this. It shows that God cares deeply about human relationships. Class, is that true? Does He care about your relationships? Do you trust Him? Do you talk to Him about your relationships? with one another as a couple? Are you trusting Him with the relationship with your kids? Or do we feel as parents, no, they're mine. They're mine. And I got to be their protector. I got to be their provider. I got to be their caregiver. I got to be their everything. And sometimes we can become even overly possessive, if not careful, to say, you know what, wait a minute. They're God's. And so having control over our relationships and how deeply God cares about human relationships. He cares about your relationship as husband and wife. He cares about your relationship with your kids. He cares about the relationship that we have with our coworkers and people who are under us. And therefore we should work to be able to represent Him well in all those relationships. Second, it exemplifies how we must make things right when we've been wronged by people. How many would you say over the summer, some point in time, you've been wronged in some little or large way by a person? Would you raise your hand? Man, there's one. Both hands up, brother. Almost. Yes. Doesn't take long. We could all probably look back at that, and that's part of the purpose here. Hey, when we've been wrong, how do we handle it? What are we supposed to do? God wants us. To, what? What was that? A gun? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) I didn't think I made you that mad, brother. My goodness. (laughs) We're supposed to grow, not use a gun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what he meant. We're putting the gun away. We're growing in that area. We're supposed to grow through it and learn to trust God through it. And be faithful to the Lord. And so, um, a side note there. Number three, it pictures true forgiveness from sin and restoration of relationship within the body of Christ after sin. Beautiful picture of forgiveness. Number four, it promotes gratitude and even indebtedness of a spiritual son to a spiritual father. Gratitude. Because God entered both of their lives. And then number five, it teaches restitution when a wrong is committed against someone that we're supposed to make that right and not just sweep it under the rug or just let it go. And so that's all part of what he's he's trying to teach here. So let's look into a little bit further. Paul's greeting. I read verse 1 to you. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's Paul's, who is Paul writing to? won't spend a lot of time on this, but Paul, first of all, says once again, he's a prisoner. And as a prisoner, he's writing to these people to be able to encourage them, inform them, instruct them as well. And the first one there is, of course, Philemon. He's the leader in the church at Colossae. He's not the pastor, But he's a leader there, and he must have been probably a wealthy man because he was very generous in a lot of what he gave uh, to others uh, in the church. And I'll cover that in just a minute. So the the church met, by the way, see what it says there, to our beloved um, Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. The church met in Philemon's house. So he must have had a home large enough to be able to support that church, though it might not have been hundreds of people, it was big enough to house the church there in Colossae. And then he talks about Apphia. Now, that was likely class, the wife. Most commentators believe Apphia was the wife of Philemon. So he's writing almost to the family. And then to Archippus. Now, Archippus, the word is not final here, but some say Archippus was either a fellow soldier of Paul or the son of Philemon, but most believe that he was the pastor of the church there. And so he's writing to Philemon, to Philemon's wife, Aphia, to Archippus, either a fellow soldier in the Lord, but certainly the pastor of the church there, possibly the son of Philemon, though the Word of God doesn't tell us that. So those are are who he's writing to. And then finally, he's writing to the church itself. I want everyone in the church to be able to understand my heart on this topic, is, is what he's saying. And so, next, he's going to share his heart. He's going to say, Philemon, i got some important things i got to talk to you about, about this one young person who is under your charge. And so he starts off this way. He, first of all, he regularly prayed for Philemon. It says that in verse 4, I thank God, my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And folks, we just got done, Keith just got done praying for us. And can I just put a word in there about that, the importance of prayer? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Yes. Amen. 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 It changes things. And so can I really encourage you as we begin this new cycle of ABF, let's really, let's really pray for one another. And I want you to know that each morning I take the list and I try to pray over that four or five times a week. I'm praying over the list for, for what's in our class and praying for you folks. And, and I want to draw encouragement that you're praying for one another as well. Here's Paul. Remember, he's a prisoner. And he could be just saying, hey, pray for me, pray for me. I'm the one suffering. I'm the one who's been mistreated. I'm the one who's under it here and, and uh, not necessarily well-liked over here in Rome because I'm preaching the gospel. So pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. But here he's saying, I'm praying for you, Philemon. I'm praying for the church there. I'm praying for your situation. That's pretty That's pretty neat. And so for us, remember that this is this is our group, our smaller group in the church that so we could especially... Have that camaraderie. And when we come in on Sunday, when you're praying for someone, don't don't hesitate to go up to that person and say, hey, I was praying about this for you. How are you feeling? Or send someone an email from the ABF and say, hey, I hadn't seen you on Sunday. I know it's been a while since you've been away. Your, Your family member's sick. How's it going? I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Do that to one another. That'll greatly encourage all of us. Paul starts that very way. He's sharing his heart with Philemon. Hey, brother, I'm praying for you, even though he's under it himself. Number two, Paul praised Philemon for his consistent faith in Christ and love for the saints. Notice what he says in verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Philemon, you are a godly man. I'm hearing about your faith. It came way over to me in Rome about who you are. Now class, I just want to stop and think because we could read through this so quickly and miss this little point. Look what it says. He's writing to Philemon, Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord and towards all the saints. That is written in the eternal word of God about his testimony. Philemon's testimony is noted there. How would you like to have that said of you in the eternal word of God? Another question. What would those who know you best write about you? If you wanted something recorded about you that you knew was going to be your testimony, maybe it's on a headstone when you pass or maybe it's in some eulogy at your funeral. What would you want said? Well, guess what? Philemon has Paul saying, Hey, Philemon, I'm hearing about your faith and your love for the saints. You're a a good guy. You're You're a generous man. You have a heart for people. And here we are talking about this this guy, 2,000 years later. I guess what I'd say about that is this. It's important how we live our lives now. You might not think anything of it like, hey, it's just another day. I'm just getting up, going to work, doing what I'm supposed to do, taking care of my family, trying to provide for my, my family and, 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 and be a good testimony at work. Just another day. But you know, folks, one day, after another, after another, of being faithful, of being obedient to God, of loving people, of being a good witness, you're building a testimony. You're building a testimony at work. You're building a testimony in this church. You're building a testimony with your kids, with your neighbors, one day after the other. There might not be any dramatic event that puts you on the map with your neighbors. But from day to day to day to day, they watch, hey, their driveway is empty. I see them driving to church on Sunday morning. They're, they're, they go to church. I see them leaving Wednesday night. Where are they going? Oh, we're out cutting the grass. Oh, yeah, we got Wednesday night church. We're going to church tonight. They begin to see, hey, these people are pretty committed. Maybe you're out in the deck like I am and reading the Bible. That's where I do my devotions on the deck in the nice weather. Sometimes I see my neighbor over there. He sees me with my Bible open. He knows I'm a pastor. I'm glad that he would see that. But on a day-to-day basis, just knowing that you're building a testimony. Philemon had a testimony. He hears about it. Though Paul wasn't there watching it, other people come. Man, you should see what's going on there. Philemon's a good guy. He loves the people. He loves the brethren. And uh, we wanted you to know that, Paul. And so he compliments. He praises Philemon. Number three, Paul prompted Philemon to continue to share the goodness of God with others. Look at verse 6. He says, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Can anyone interpret that for me, please? Can you help me out this morning? What is Paul saying there? This is the toughest verse to to sort of translate or to interpret. Anybody want to give it a shot? Honey, can you help me out? You helped me out all week this week with this, okay? (laughs) No? (laughs) It's not easy. Tough for us to interpret. So that's why we're here. We want to give that to you. He was prompting Philemon to continue to share the goodness of God with others. The every good thing there that Paul's talking about, that Philemon was supposed to communicate, it's understood to mean that his sharing of material possessions or giving of money to others was a good thing. He was a generous man. He was beyond just coming to church and hearing the Word of God, taking it in, and living a moral life. He was a decent man. He was a generous man. Philemon's faith prompted him to be a testimony for Christ by sharing in the blessings of God to the needy around him through his generosity. And so Paul is basically saying here, it would be tragic, Philemon... If in your sharing it was only done out of your human kindness and not out of you portraying that because Christ is in you, you're doing it out of a love for Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul tied Philemon's generosity... To his motivation to please Christ, and this would prompt others to acknowledge that Philemon's generous spirit was due to his personal relationship with Christ. He's so generous. Oh, he's one of those Christians, too. That's what makes him so generous. I want to be like that guy, he's pretty awesome. They were connecting. Paul was connecting the dots so that they would see, hey, don't miss this opportunity, Philemon. When you're so giving, tie Jesus Christ to it because you do it out of a love for Christ. And by the way, this thing that I'm going to ask you about Onesimus and freeing him, that's important too. Um, Just as you're generous in showing this kind gesture to others... Think about what your testimony will be by showing this act of forgiveness and kindness to a runaway slave named Onesimus. Philemon, that would be a monstrous gesture of unconditional love that proved your deep commitment to Jesus Christ. That's kind of where Paul's going with this. Now that's a lot in one verse. But as you look into it, that's sort of what Paul is saying here. Your testimony carries through by your generosity and it carries through, it can also carry through by how you handle this difficult situation of your, one of your, your slaves, one of your workers running away from you and maybe stealing valuables from you or, or messing with your family members and, and running away. And now to receive him back would only demonstrate a further unconditional love for people and for God. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. For God to get the glory, ultimately. And class, once again, can we make the the parallel here for us? Just have a good testimony. As God has allowed you to be able to share your faith or share your blessings of God with others, and so many of you, when we have our college students or when Jamie Klein was having her struggles, so many of you stepped up and reached out and helped. And by the way, I might say that here, that just prompted me. Um, We're getting ready to sell her house. Many of you contacted me about being able to help so I'll let you know when we're getting ready to do that to go over and freshen up the house outside and inside. We had a little delay or I would have been calling you this or, or emailing you this week but we'll have a chance to even while Jamie's gone be able to minister to her and the family by sprucing up the house getting it ready to to sell so that we can get the maximum dollars for it. That's one of those ways that Philemon would be all over that and that's one of the ways that we can do that too say so yeah Jamie's not here but but uh, we want to be able to be a blessing to her and her family by doing, not her, she's in heaven, she's got the ultimate blessing, but be a blessing to her family by doing this uh, for her. That's exactly what Philemon's talking about here. His, his generous spirit was, was tremendous. And so Paul, he's prompting Philemon to continue to share that goodness. Third, fourth, Paul was pleased with Philemon's ministry and encouragement to others. Verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. What else could he say? He's helped many saints by his caring and giving both the gospel and material help. So he, he Paul's heart for Philemon, he shares it. Now he's going to get into the second part where Paul's personal appeal to Philemon. In verse 8 we start, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient... Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee being such and one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Um, Philemon, we have some business to take care of and that's important that I talk to you about what's on my heart is basically what he's saying. So he's going to make this personal appeal to Philemon. And what is that? Well, he made his appeal based upon many factors that gave him the authority to make such appeal. It's almost like he's going to build his case that there's no way Philemon can say no to it. And so what is that? This authority that Paul has to be able to make such a bold request to free, to let go of this slave-holding you know, position and welcome him back as a brother in Christ, not as a slave, which is biblical. And so what does he do? He, he, um, he uses his power as an apostle of Christ Um, right there in verse 8 it says wherefore though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that word enjoin we don't use that today but what that word means is you know sort of Philemon I I could command you in essence I could really demand of you to do this because I have some spiritual authority over you I led you to Christ I'm an apostle of Christ And I'll go through the other things here in just a moment. But he has authority, so I could really sort of turn the screws and 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 dig down deep in this and say, you know, you really need to do this. But but Paul's not taking that position. Instead, um, he's begging. Look what he says there. Um, I might be bold to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. I'm not going to demand. I'm going to beg. I'm going to take a different approach because we're brothers in Christ. Philemon, would you please do this out of a love for God and even a love for me as well? He had this power as an apostle. He had this aged authority as well. Paul was older, verse 9. He says, being such an one as Paul the aged. Look, I'm now old And I've been at this a long time. Would you respect my position as an older man to consider what I'm saying? As an apostle of Christ, as someone who has led you to Christ, his position as a prisoner and as a sufferer for Christ, that should give him some level of credence or credibility with Philemon. That's what he says there. Being such an one as Paul the age and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm writing from prison. I'm going through this. If I'm going through this, Philemon, once again, could you... Could you take this to heart that maybe you could be generous yourself with Onesimus and reach outside yourself and not hold it against him and and, and not get just upset and angry because he did this wrong thing to you? I'm wrongly put in prison for preaching the gospel and I'm still happy about it. Could you, in the same way, receive this man back as a new believer in Christ? Because I'm asking... And I think I have the credibility to ask because I myself am a sufferer. He's sort of saying it that way. Next, number four, his position as a spiritual father to Onesimus. Look at verse 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. While I was in prison, I led this man to Christ. He was brought to me from you and I didn't just let him go. I gave him the gospel. And now this young man's gotten gloriously saved. I can vouch for him. He has a change of heart. And Paul would know, because remember what Paul was. He was a Christian killer. And he was, he was against the Christians. And so Paul would know if this man's faith, Onesimus' faith was really genuine or not. And obviously it was because Paul's writing back to Philemon saying, hey, I know what it's like to have a change of heart. This young man has had a change of heart. He's worthy for you to receive him back. He will be a blessing to you if you have him back. I've watched him grow under my own ministry here, and I can vouch for him. Take him back. That kind of thing. And so that's where he's at. Because of Paul's influence in Onesimus' life, leading him to salvation... Onesimus would become a much more beneficial worker for Philemon. And then number five his position as the spiritual father of Philemon himself, which we already talked about. I read it for you over there in verse 19. And if I haven't said enough, don't forget, Philemon, that you sort of owe me your own soul. Look at verse 19 again. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self. Besides, would you now do this as a friend, as your spiritual father in the faith? I'm asking you to receive this man back. Do you think Paul had enough credibility here, class, to to make Philemon, or persuade Philemon to do this? What do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say it's very clear. Paul is making the point, look, I got this and this and this and this. Take this guy back. Love him. So, he, he uses his authority. Then he makes this plea for Onesimus. By the way, there in your notes, Onesimus means, of all things, class, how about that, the sovereignty of God? Onesimus means useful. Can you believe that? His name means useful. Philemon, just the fact of his name, he can be useful for you. He's going to live out his name, being a useful person. Because Onesimus, like we said, had a change of heart. He was begotten by Baal in bonds. He was once unprofitable, but will now be profitable to you, in verse 11, which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. I can vouch for him. Take him back under your wing. Number two, Paul, he could have kept Onesimus with him, but he sent him back. Paul could have said, you know what? He ran away. He was... He was um, ungodly. He's gotten saved. I can use this man now in my ministry back here. So I'll salvage him and I'll have him work with Timothy and Epaphras and and Luke and all the other people that helped me and he'll be another one that I'll just keep with me and he can be a messenger for me. Paul could have very easily had that idea. He could have been totally selfish. Paul's love for Onesimus could have been a strong driver for Paul to keep Onesimus with him because he led him to Christ. Hey, he's one of my Spiritual children. I want to keep them for me, so to speak. Um, But his commitment to Christ was even stronger, which motivated him to do the right thing. So Paul also had a respect for Philemon. So he was writing to confirm that Philemon would take him back because he knew Onesimus belonged with Philemon. And it would be wrong to just keep the young man for himself and not his own ministry purposes. Look what it says in verse 12. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is my own bowels. In my own heart, I'd like to keep him, but he needs to come back to you. Receive him back, and I won't keep him for myself. It's not right for me to do that. You know, the sovereignty of God was at work here, class. Look at verse 15. I'll, I'll, I'll read, start in verse 13. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of this gospel. Like I was just saying, but without thy mind would I do nothing, Philemon. In other words, I want you to understand my motivation, my heart, and you're a part of this decision. That thy benefits should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. You take him back willingly, and he'll bless you. Verse 15. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. The sovereignty of God was at work. You know, Philemon, it was necessary that Onesimus left you, sinfully so, that in his running away, in his rebellion, he would meet up with me in his sovereignty. He would get gloriously saved, have a complete uh, transformation of heart, so that he could now come back and be with you. And now, though it was painful that he left and it was wrong that he ran away, yet coming back to you, God ordained so that now he could be a blessing to you as a worker for the rest of his life. Even though it was bad what he did going away, God sovereignly turned the whole thing around. And it can be something to your and his benefit. And so it was the sovereignty of God at work isn't that what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says? In that while we were yet sinners. What class? Finish it for me. Anybody? Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become this perfect person. Then He said, I'll save you. He said, I'll take you out of the midst of your sin. And while you're filthy and dirty and ugly in sin, I'll pick you up and I'll clean you off. That's exactly what was going on with Inesimus. In the midst of his running away and rebellion, God said, uh-uh, I'm going to pick this man up and I'm going to save his soul and I'm going to transform his life and he'll go back And he will be a blessing to the church at Colossae for the rest of his life. So, this low point needed to happen in order to bring about salvation and go back and do something much better for his life for the rest of his life. It's just like God to do that. Number four, Onesimus was now much more than a slave, he was a brother in Christ. Now, class, when we get saved, there should be a change in us. Is that true? There should be a change in us. Without looking too much at your notes, let me ask you, just just give me some feedback this morning. In what ways have you changed as a believer? Either biblically we think of how we're supposed to change, but how would you say we change as believers in Christ? Just, just, Just help me out this morning. Give me some ideas. How do we change? What happens to us? What's different? A state of, of gratefulness. We have a, a new thankful heart. Excellent. What else? Yes, ma'am. I guess a lot of, uh, joy. There's a joyfulness that comes. Yeah. Let me look in your faces this morning. How are we doing? <laughs> How are we doing? <laughs> yeah, there's joyfulness. Yes, ma'am. I have a burden for people that are not saved. Uh, you get a burden for the lost. That's beautiful. But we wouldn't have that before. We wouldn't even care. Yes, Adrian? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I remember my brother, he's 10 years older than me, but we shared a bedroom. I remember him coming home as he was maybe 21 and I'm 11 or 12. I was 12, I think. I remember him coming into bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and throwing up all over the floor. He had gotten drunk with his friends and he got saved. He became a pastor. He completely transformed. He's a new man. It's amazing. And I just... That's that's tremendous. You know, we, we don't love the things that we used to love anymore. Jen. There's a peacefulness. Yeah, life can be stressful around us, but there's an inner peace that God wants to give us. A change. Yes, ma'am. Jen? He opens up the word in the middle of the night. You come up and finish the class. I mean, you finish the lesson here. I'm not. Amen. Amen. It's a renewal. In other words, we don't just get saved and we're left to wander. We're saved that every day we have this relationship that's new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. It's an act of real faith that changes us each day and helps us to live for God every day and find a spring in our step and a purpose for living. That's all for us. Did Does someone have their hand up up here? Yes, Kat? Forgiving others. Forgiving others, yeah. Onesimus, you're forgiven. Awesome. That's huge. That's supernatural. Was it Jack? She got mine. But it was? Sometimes it's more difficult than others, but it just takes really concentration and give, giving it to God and the forgiveness comes right into your heart. Amen, amen. We don't hold on to it, class. Let it go. So someone right now that's really against you or you're against them here's the message of the hour forgive let it go let the love of Christ fill you so that you say you know I'm, I'm not going to hold on to it yes sir Dave praise God for the conviction of sin so we don't want to do it again Did you get that class when we do something we do it wrong does God convict you does He say, oh man, I don't want to do that again? That's, that's, that's what should be happening as a Christian with us. Yeah, look in your notes. Thank you for those wonderful uh, answers. Here, I'm just going to run down through them quickly. Here's just a quick smattering. Remember, we have a new nature. Old things pass away. We have new. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. You have power, by the way. There's a, we change out our status or our status in heaven. It changes. We go from being the enemy of God to being a wholly accepted adopted child of God. Class, it changes our behavior. It changes our speech. We change our friendships. We change our thinking. We don't think the way that we did. Adrian's talking about that. We don't do the things that we've done. Behavior, thinking. We change our desires. We don't don't want what we used to want. We shouldn't. We change our outlook on life. Life is good. The Lord's coming back. The world could be falling down around us, but the Lord's coming back. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have hope in Christ. Amen, class? Amen. Amen. We change our witness. We have something to talk about. And we change the way that we think of others. We're going to be more patient. We're going to be more kind. We're going to be more loving, and so on and so forth. Finally here, Paul makes an offer to Philemon. What is it? Verse 18, he says, If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I'll take the responsibility. Wow, what a huge thing. There it is. His love for Onesimus was that I will pay for his burden. I will step in and be his substitute. It's almost like that kinsman-redeemer idea in Old Testament Jewish history. When the nearest family member is is charged with uh, revenging the rights or avenging the wrongs or marrying a relative in order to protect the interests of the, of the person and the children and the progeny of the family, like with Boaz and Ruth. It's almost like he's stepping in saying, I'll pay. I'm willing to pay for him. That's how much he means to me, Philemon. But Paul appeals to Philemon's debt to Paul. But don't remember, don't forget Philemon that You owe your own soul, sort of, to me by me witnessing to you and leading you to the Lord. So consider that before you say no, if you are thinking about saying no. Let us see. Paul would have a great joy if Philemon followed through on Paul's plea. Verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. I know you, Philemon, and you're a good, generous guy. I know you're going to receive him back, and you're going to do more than what I'm even asking. That's just what your nature is. Class, that reminds me of Luke chapter 6 in verse 38. Did I put it there in your notes? Look what it says. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Remember Tim Thompson spoke on that verse, talked about that, being a giver. A giver, a giver. Practice that this week. Be a giver of God. What's the, what's the challenge to us, class, as we close? Spiritual growth assignment. Paul's love for people is Paul's final message. Though he's in jail, he's thinking of others and longing to be with them. Verses 22 to 25, he talks about that. Salute my fellow uh, members, Epaphras and the fellow prisoner uh, of Jesus Christ. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas. Remember those people. They labor with me. Though he's in jail, he's thinking of others and belonging, uh, uh, longing to be with them. So class, don't allow your circumstances to dictate your joy. Let your joy come from within as, your, as a grateful child of God, appreciative of His many blessings. Then share God's generosity towards you with others. We get the opportunity to do that, right? Let's let it shine for God's glory. Thanks for being in here. Good way to start the class. Pray for one another this week. If you have any prayer requests, let me know and uh, we'll continue on. Uh, Scott has a job interview set up for Monday, September the 9th at a company called uh, Carlisle Interconnect Technologies Uh, for an engineering position. Can you please pray this week? Amen. uh, Amen. We'll do that. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for this time to be together as a class. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for uh, Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, all the players in this story today that we can learn and draw from. Strengthen us this week, Lord, to serve you, to be generous with people, to be lovers of yours. Lord, I do pray for Scott that you'd help him, Lord, in this job interview. It's been a long time that he's been waiting for the right position. Would you open that door, bless him with work in a field that he has expertise, and might that go well. We give that to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, class. Good morning, what sir. What an excellent class! I just want to give you a heads up on that. You bought a great. Um